What's up, everybody? Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt, Sunday Golds, the second episode of our Florida State Baseball podcast. And what a fall it's been for Florida State Baseball and for Mike Martin Jr. and the team. Brett, I thought the Garden Gold game was really a good indication of some of the things we had seen during the few weeks of fall ball practice that we got to go to. It's a lot of really good pitching, but some bats that I think are going to surprise some people. Yeah, I saw, we just saw a lot of competitive at-bats, and it was a back-and-forth game, and it was just good to see the intensity from a lot of guys and see the young guys get under that, you know, see them have their blood rushing a bit more and getting their uh, heart rate up. Um, you know, there were definitely some standout performances, but, you know, one game, one I mean, that's one game of a lot, a lot of scrimmages they had, so it's not – it can be the exclamation point for some guys, but – it's not the end of the world if they have a bad game there either. Yeah, and the way the game worked, the coaches actually had a lot of autonomy on how the innings were, were kind of put together and when and how the runs counted. So it ended up being gold eight, garnet five, uh, but a lot of competition. I thought a lot of really bright moments. And for me, you know, I thought Vince Smith really impressed a couple of base hits, three, I think, actually, for the day, a couple of doubles. And he was someone, Brett, you had been kind of talking to me about for a few weeks, saying this is a freshman that has impressed a lot of people, and don't be surprised if he has a good day. And he went out there and did. Yeah, so I just, all all fall, I just thought he's had a veteran approach, really, for a freshman. And I think two of his hits came with two strikes. Um, another one was just a bloop double, but, I mean, that's just what happens when you put the ball in play. Good things will happen. And that's what he does a lot. Um, you know, I think he turned around a 96-mile-per-hour fastball for a double off the fence as well. So you see that he can, you know, he can really – he has a little pop in the bat too for his smaller stature. Um, he had an error in the first inning, but after that I thought he was really solid at shortstop. Um, short term, I think his way into the lineup though is at second. But, you know, long term I think he could be that future at shortstop for FSU. And I think that's why he's working there mostly right now because they want him to get as many looks as there there as possible and you know it translates pretty easily over to second base when it comes down down to um this regular season but he probably my favorite to start at second base after after the spring um definitely not not putting it away or anything but he's just the guy that's been most impressive and most consistent I think and he really put an exclamation point on it in a big way with that with that uh Garner and Gold game yeah you know I think one of my favorite things about Florida State baseball is just there's a tradition of really good freshmen that always come in. There's always at least one, and oftentimes there are multiple that really impress in their first year in Tallahassee. And that's just something that you, you've you been used to seeing at Hauser. And I think Vince Smith could be the next great freshman, but there are other freshmen who can really hit the baseball as well. Not just freshmen, but also newcomers. And I mean, Casey Asman, another one who had a big day. He's someone, Brett, I know you've been kind of trying to get people on the on the train about is that he's going to be someone that kind of maybe forces his way into the lineup this season yeah so I mean he's he's got a lot he's he brings a lot of flex, flexibility to the lineup I mean he can play outfield first base um, you know you could see him at DH too but he just got a really he, there's a lot to like in the swing it's quick hands it's line drive approach I mean even when you hit a home run in that game but I mean that thing was just a straight that that ball was still rising I thought when it went over the fence and it was 106 off the bat, it was just a, I mean, that's just a good swing. That's what you want. You know, line drive, good things happen. And he's gap to gap hitter. We've seen him go opposite field a lot. We've seen him hit upper nineties, mid nineties. He can hit a lot of stuff with those fast hands. Um, you know, he's really a national first baseman, but extremely athletic. You saw some of that. I believe he stole a base as well in the game, but that's definitely a kid that, when you have fast hands like that and you can really time up any any pitcher, it's it's something that's a weapon. And I think he, he brings an approach that Meat really likes as well. Reese Albert was another one too, and, and what a fall he's had. A close to double-digit home runs if he didn't get there during the fall. Hit another one in the Garnet and Gold game. And and Brett, what does what does Reese Albert do when he's at his best? How does that change the entire complexion of any lineup? Yeah, well, I think really Reese is at his best when he's not looking to be super pull happy because that's really where where he's timing the ball up well. And, you know, he's seeing outside pitches. He's get, taking what he's – I mean, he's hitting what the pitchers are giving him. But, you know, when that pitch comes inside, he's ready to he's ready to turn and burn on it. And I think you saw that. I think it was a two-strike uh, – I think it was a hanging uh, changeup that he took advantage of. And that was the fifth homer in his last ten scrimmages. And – 
that was a pitch that I really thought, you know, I didn't think he got really got all of it. I believe he got under it a good bit, but it just showed how much power he has because even when he doesn't get all the ball, he still can push it out, and especially at Dick Hauser with the short right field. So that always that always helps him. But, you know, I just think Reese is in store for a big year, and, I mean, you're going to hear from him soon. I just think he's really starting to feel like himself for the first time in a long while. Yeah, he actually did join the show, and we'll get – to that a little bit later on um, but so Albert Asman they both hit home runs on the afternoon there were other standouts though and, and some on the mound as well I know Connor Grady is a name that you wanted to talk about he I think has maybe gotten lost in the shuffle by the fans not by, certainly not by the by the pitching and the coaching staff they know what Connor Grady can do and, and perhaps his stuff has taken a, a step forward as well yeah I think um, something he had struggled with was he kind of just lost his slider. He lost his feel for it. And when he's on, that's his out pitch. And that's what it was the other day. I believe he had three strikeouts after a leadoff single from Smith. And I believe all three of them were on, were on sliders. Um, you know, he's ticked up with his fastball and that gives him a little bit more room for error with his location and stuff. But when Connor's executing, it's, it's, it's hard to find a guy that, has a better mix of three pitches that he can get righties and lefties out with. He has also has a good changeup. Um, he can land that slider back foot on lefties and it's really hard pitch for those guys to lay off, but you know, he's just a reliable pitcher. He's a veteran. He's the veteran in that room of starters. So I think it's a good chance he'll be in that weekend rotation. And I think, you know, he definitely has the most experience and, you know, and it, you saw in moments like those when the heart rate goes up a little bit, he stays steady all the time. Yeah, I think to me too, any outlook on 2021 season has Connor Grady as an important piece to this Florida State pitching staff. And in a lot of ways that Antonio Velez was. I mean, he's if Connor Grady is in the starting rotation, which, you know, it's a pretty good chance that he will be to have a veteran there on the back end that, you know, like you just mentioned, can handle pretty much any type of game, any type of moment. That's great. But if, you know, they go with a different combination of three or four guys, Connor Grady's going to be used multiple times in a weekend because you know what you get out of him. And that's why I liken him to Velez a little bit because he is such a Swiss army knife, in my opinion, that he is not really, there's really no situation to me that I feel like he has to pitch in. It's, hey, when we need you, you you can pitch and we know you're going to do a good job. All right, so what are some other names that stood out to you in the Garnet and Gold game? Because I thought there were quite a few, especially on the mound too. Yeah, I thought freshman Ross Dunn was really good. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit with command, but the fastball was really – it's just – it's a powerful pitch, 92-94. Um, his, his frame is – there's a lot to like in the frame, big 6-3 lefty. But I was really pleased – I really thought the, the curveball was really good, really good on, on that, that Thursday. Um, I believe he had two strikeouts with it, and it – you know, it, it's, a, it's a sharper curveball, 81-82, to 82, and it, it's – it has like sharp downhill bite. Um, you know, I think he's a kid that could be a sleeper for a weekend spot, but at the same time, I do. It's a really bright future. It's a kid that will see innings as a true freshman, no matter what. But it's also a kid that is a future weekend guy for sure. Um, Carson Montgomery, obviously, he's the freshman that everybody knows, and you know, his stuff his stuff was definitely electric that night, and I thought he showed good. Um, control but maybe not as much command so the difference there is control is getting the ball in the zone but commanding is hitting your spots more so and I just thought you know he gave up a run on two hits two two ounce hits that he just left the ball over the middle and if he can start to refine that command then he's start he's going to be really good I mean he was 94 96 sitting there with 97 and it has real sinking life on it that's the other thing it's it's not a flat fastball it's one that you know, it can come in on the guy's hands and really cut them off. And the other thing that stood out to me was he added a cutter to his arsenal that night. That was the first time I had seen him throw a cutter. Um, you know, he also had the high 80s change-ups and the low 80s slider. So it's just a it's a big mix of things he can do on the mound. Um, you know, every time he touches the mound, you see the potential, you see the ability. Um, his role in 2021 will definitely be decided on that development of his command and the refinement of, I think, that slider of getting a little more bite to it. I thought it was funny on that day when Montgomery hit 97 and uh, you texted me and said, did you see that? And some of the texts that I was like, well, yeah, who could have missed it? But also some of the texts you got from scouts that were sitting in the park as well. 
everyone knows that Carson Montgomery is kind of the gem of what Florida State got to campus. What? Let me ask you this. What is the key for Carson to kind of realize that potential? I think I think he knows how good he can be. I think he's a humble kid, and I think, you know, from talking to him in the summer when he was going through summer ball, he knew what he needed to work on, and that was always – First off, it was his changeup was what he really wanted to work on first, and I that changeup has been way way better since the summer. Um, you know, he works hard. Uh, he knows what he's got to do. Um, you know, I just there's a potential for him to be Friday night by next year. But I mean, no matter what, he's going to give you a really good option. Um, yeah, I, I've I've talked to you a little bit about. It. I think he could be a little bit of what C.J. Van Eyck was throughout his career, where he went from somewhat of a closer his freshman year also to be like the kind of the bridge guy from a starter to the closer or he could be and then moving into he could be a Saturday guy behind Messick and then Friday but you know there's just so much potential you see it every time on the mound I mean he knows what he's got to do I think and you know Belly obviously knows the potential there and what he's got to do with him yeah it's a new this is a really new day for Florida State baseball in terms of just the number of arms that they run out there that are power arms. I mean, we've seen Hunter Purdue hit 97 this fall as well. We've seen Doug Kirkland be able to do it a little bit. And there are other names, obviously, that run it up there. Um, there's just a lot of power arms. And it's it's going to remind you of every time the Florida Gators ran another arm out there and you kind of took a deep breath and sighed and said, how many of these guys do they have? And that's, that's what Florida State's getting to is some power arms. And Brett... Tell me if I'm wrong. I think you kind of need some of them, and you need depth with the power arms to truly ever win a national title. Yeah, you definitely need it. I mean, it's always harder for hitters to recognize spin. It's harder for guys to lay off sliders when you have to gear up for a fastball in that high 90s. You know, it's it's always going to come down to how, you know, I think once you get deeper and deeper into a postseason, it's going to come down to who executes the best with that command. And, you know... There's a ton of power here, and it's really exciting. But I thought three guys that were really good in the Garnet and Gold game and were good all all of fall ball were three lefties that are just matchup guys, really. That was Jonah Scalaro, Clayton Kwiatkowski, and Andrew Armstrong, the freshman. I thought Jonah was really one of, if not the most dominant pitcher this fall. And he, you know, when when he's right, when his slider is right, when he's down in the zone, it's really good. And he's starting to really um, throw the fastball with some oomph this year and, you know, 89-90. And he's a guy that I know a lot of major league scouts like. And, you know, it's not the it's not top five round, but that's a kid that's going to be a matchup pitcher for a long time. Um, Clayton Kwiatkowski's always – he's been throwing the ball well since the end of last year. And then Andrew Armstrong, I, you know, that's a kid that was like 84-86 just this past summer. And now we've seen him 88-89 consistently. And, I mean – you know, his problem is just he's he's really lean and he's got to put on some weight. But if he hits that weight room some more, and I think he, he he's a guy that is a really, really good lefty-lefty option, you know. Um, and the other thing we saw is, you know, he has a plus pickoff move. He's picked off guys over and over again this entire fall. I think that pretty much wraps up what we wanted to talk about in terms of what we saw in the Garnet and Gold game. We know Parker Messick came in and looked really good. Yeah. And he's, he's, just, I, he's done that. I mean, that's... It's consistent. Uh, we asked Meat in the postgame presser, what has Parker done to kind of get himself ready for this role? And first off, Meat did confirm that the plan is to move Parker into the weekend rotation. That that had been, you know, you, you've, you're on top of it, so you've always kind of been hinting at it in your articles. Meat confirmed it. Parker Messick's going to be in this weekend rotation in, in one way or another. Meat also said to me that, he thought Parker mentally had taken a step forward in embracing this role. What do you think in terms of Parker's bulldog mentality, the way that he approaches the game, the way that he approaches preparing that allows him to be an elite Friday or Saturday night guy? Yeah, I just think he knows what he's got to get done, and he just wants to be a team player more than anything. I mean, we've saw him, you know, he'll he'll – bring a little off of his fastball to make sure that he can go more deeper into games. He's a guy that's going to be efficient, but you know, he also has that fastball. You can reach back and get it. We saw him reach back and get 93 one time in the other night when he was sitting mostly 90, 92, but you know, Parker just, he's, he's a smart baseball player. He's a smart pitcher. He knows how to get outs. I mean, he even got behind in a lot of counts the other night, but he still was able to work around that and retire all five batters he faced pretty easily. So, you know, it's just, 
there's I don't think there's anybody more that you could trust more, and I don't think there's anybody on this team that Meat trusts more. I mean, you saw the trust Meat had in him when he threw him out there in Gainesville and against Texas Tech. I mean, that's just like that's the guy that they're really they're just putting all their trust into him, and they know that he's going to give them that bulldog mentality every time he's out there on the mound. Yeah, I think he reminds me a lot of uh, Drew Parrish in a lot of ways. But obviously, I think the stuff's a little bit better than Drew Parrish's. It's just whenever a Friday night guy goes out there, you expect strikes, you expect someone to be efficient with their pitches, and you expect a guy to run up the K count a little bit. And I thought Parrish did that really well in his career at Florida State. And Parker, again, will do that, I think, as the Friday guy. Uh, If that is what they do, I think he will be the Friday guy uh, in the spring. So um, that'll be interesting. Doug Kirkland. I know that was another name you wanted to talk about, and we'll let you wrap it up with Doug Kirkland and Isaiah Perry, who also stood out. Yeah, well, Doug is just, I mean, we saw that closer mentality when he closed out the game for Garnet. Um, you know, he did walk two batters, but he really showed you the ceiling when, you know, even when his stuff wasn't completely on, it, he's still striking out the side, and I mean, nobody's scoring, um, you know, 93-95 with the fastball and then the curveballs. Um, the, the curveball was really the effective pitch that night. And, you know, sometimes he effectively backs up the pitch, which, you know, it may not be exactly what you wanted to, but sometimes it, it really is effective because it just locks hitters up. But, you know, when he's snapping that ball off, it's, it's, it's a really unhittable curveball. Um, and I just think he does bring that mentality. I mean, you saw it. I mean, he closed out the game and, you know, you get a little yell from him in an inner squad scrimmage so you can, you can figure out the intensity that kid's going to bring when um, when you're playing a, a big ACC matchup. Um, as you said, the other guy I wanted to mention was Isaiah Perry. thought he had a really decent night the other night, and he showed a little bit of what that team wants, what Meat wants to do with aggressiveness. Um, IP had three steals on the night and got on base, I want to say, two or three times. But just when he puts the ball in play, I mean, you've, you saw it in the first inning, he makes – infielders rush their throws he makes he just creates havoc on the base pass and I think he's a guy that whether it is a spot starter or just a depth guy or coming off the bench to run the bases he'll be a weapon for them in 2021 all right let's jump right into the position battles if we could there is a lot going on with this team right now right I mean there are infield positions that are up for grabs I think you were saying earlier that you felt pretty good about where the outfield lies so my question to you Brett what are the three or four positions that Florida State fans really need to keep an eye on when this team comes back in the spring I should say in the winter um, and is looking for some starters yeah so I'd say first base second base and third base and then adding on DH as well are the are the real the four that it's going to be I think it's you know, it's going to come down right to the start of this regular season. And, you know, we've talked a lot about whoever gets hottest, maybe the guys that starts there. Um, you know, sometimes you get guys that play really well in fall, but they don't have a great winter and then they come back in spring. So that stuff's still in the air, obviously. And I think it's going to come down to the very end. But, you know, I think first base is between Dylan Simmons and Casey Asman, as I talked about Asman earlier. Um, second base is probably between Smith and and Jackson Green, and also I think Danny Ainsel has had a good has had a good uh, fall here. You know, you saw him hit a, hit a, like a 106 mile per hour line drive double. Um, and then at third base, you have Tyler Martin and Logan Lacey. And I think Tyler Martin's really the one guy that you can completely etch in stone that he'll be in that lineup on opening day, being leading off. Um, I think Dylan Simmons's bat is in there. Uh, just, I mean, we saw what he did last year for the lineup, and he was really the most consistent hitter when it came down to it. Uh, Logan Lacey has had a really nice fall, I thought, and I really like Lacey's approach. I think he might have the most aggressive approach in this whole team at the plate. Really likes to hit fastballs early in the count. You know, Vince Smith, we've talked about his great fall. So, you know, it's just going to come down to who fields the best out of those guys, I think. Um, I don't want to name anybody. I don't want to predict any starters right now just because, you know, as things go over through the fall and, you know, you never know what's going to happen in 2020. So, you know, there's four guys there. I mean, you're four, you're looking at four positions and um, I think you got five or six or seven guys that could slot in there anywhere. I think to me, what stands out about what you just said was just the fact that there is depth, there is versatility. And as a result of that competition, and that makes everyone better, there's nobody who can kind of just take a practice off and just say, you know, well, this is my spot. 
I don't really need to bring that intensity or that energy. So uh, it will be really interesting. I think you and I will definitely both be excited to see uh, when this team comes back, uh, what they do and and how it all shakes out because there are some talented players. And I, I think I'm willing to bet that even early in the season when it starts, there will be some shifting that goes around as kids just kind of work their way in and have different results for themselves and build their own confidence. Yeah, well, the other thing I think is, you know, if guys aren't doing well, they're going to – I mean, I think it's just, just going to be a short leash for, some, leash for some guys. And it's just going to be whoever has a hot hand throughout, throughout the whole year. I mean, there's depth. There's versatility. There's a lot of things they can do. So you know, I think it's going to be – you know, it's kind of like you – know, we hear it a lot in football. Just it's always going to be an ongoing battle. No doubt about that. All right, so a lineup outlook is something that we had – put right here on our uh, skeleton of what we wanted to talk about. So the way I'll phrase this, Brett, what do, we, what do we think a lineup could possibly look like for Florida State? Obviously, the Knowles have always loved to platoon if they could, lefty against a righty, righty against a lefty in the lineup. But what are some spots that you feel like are pretty solidly locked down, and maybe what are some different lineup options that you like? Yeah, well, and something we saw last year that Meat likes to do is he likes to go left, right, left, right. He doesn't like to have um, guys back-to-back that are the same-handed hitters because, you know, that forces a team into a harder spot when they're bringing in relievers. Uh, we'll definitely see some platooning, I think. Um, probably at first base, third base, stuff like that, where you'll see the platoons where lefties hit against righties and righties hit against lefties. Um, you know, I do think Tyler Martin is the leadoff hitter. The second spot is the one that I've I've thought about the most going back and forth. I do think three, four, five is is probably going to be Robbie Elijah Reese as it was last year. Um, potentially, you could swap Robbie and Reese. Um, that second spot, I think Nelly. I do think Nelly fits in there, and I think Nelly likes it. He likes to. Um, he's going to get a lot of fastballs, and that's what he likes to hit when he's hitting in front of Robbie. You know, another guy that you could see there is Smith. Um, you know, their right-handed bat. Um, also, Nander, if Nander continue to, continues to hit from the right side as well as he has. And then, you know, I just think depending on how they want to, depending on how they see the nine spot could determine a lot of things. If they want more of a second leadoff hitter there and you have Smith there as a good two two strike hitter, um, you know, we're not going to make any set in stone lineups right now, but there's just, there's, that mix and match is really what what I think you'll f- for sure see again in 2021. Yeah, I mean, there's no way we could know what the lineup is because as you've seen in college baseball, really almost forever, lineups change over time because, you know, you're just finding the best nine that give you the best chance to win uh, every night out. And that changes throughout a season as things come along. But I think even the MLB has shown that lineups need to be versatile. Lineups need to be different depending on the arm you're seeing and having a bench that's capable of bringing out multiple uh, types of hitters and guys who can do damage uh, against any type of pitcher is important. I mean, the Dodgers were the best in baseball at having a, a just a ludicrous bench. And so they won a world championship uh, just this past season. So um, that lineup will be interesting to keep an eye on as well, Brett. That's something I know, again, you and I will be on top of. All right. And that's a good segue into our player guests who joined us on Sunday Golds for this episode. Reese Albert will definitely factor into the lineup this year. He's got a chance to potentially work for all ACC and all American honors. He talked to Brett about just what it was like to be back for another season in Tallahassee and what it was like to be fully healthy going through an entire off season. Hope you enjoyed this interview. Thanks, Aria. Now we have our second ever guest on Sunday Golds podcast with uh, Reese Albert here. Reese, how's it going? Everything's going well. Just um, wrapped up the fall. So uh, it was a lot of fun getting back out there, especially having the Garnet and Gold game. Um, obviously, couldn't have fans there, but it was just nice to have that kind of competitive atmosphere. Yeah, I guess first off, I mean, what were the biggest challenges of this fall with everything, all the protocols you guys have to go through? Um, it was kind of uh, – it wasn't that difficult. I mean, the COVID tests uh, every other week – uh, obviously had everybody on their toes, but um, we all did a good job with it. And uh, I think only one of us ended up getting it. And um, I don't even think it was from here. So I know that the coaches and staff are super happy about that. And uh, other than that, just making sure that we keep those masks on the dugout. Um, yeah. 
you know, coaches will holler at us every once in a while, but, uh, we know that we know that that's what we need to do. So it was, uh, it went a lot better than I expected to be honest. But. Yeah. I mean, you had a really hot end to fall ball and especially you had that home run in the last game as well, but you also had a few home runs those last few scrimmages before that, I guess, how comfortable were you feeling at the plate at the end of this fall? And especially after not having a fall last year, how much different was it to be out there every day on the field leading those guys? Yeah, I mean, um, I I kind of took the fall for granted uh, in the past, I suppose. Um, I didn't really realize how much of an impact it could have. Um, but I felt super comfortable uh, midway through, throughout the end. Um, you know, you just need that time to kind of settle in and get in a good routine and stuff like that. So I'm happy that I had the chance to do that this year. I mean, obviously there's not many positives about Corona and everything and having the season cut short, but just going home and having that extra time at home and getting more rest for your shoulder too, even more time to just get back to normal, full health. How, how important was that for you and how nice was that just to have all that time off? Um, like you said, obviously, uh, we still wish to, <laughs> that we could have finished that season. Um, but it, in a sense, it was kind of a sigh of relief for me after, after we found out that everybody was getting an extra year of eligibility and things of that sort, you know, it, it gave, uh, it gave us all time to clear our heads and get away from baseball for a little while. And that hasn't happened in a long time. Um, I think it was the first birthday I got to spend with friends since I was 10. So, uh, it was nice. It was a nice time off. Um, certainly happy to be back out here now though. Uh, you never think that you miss something until you can't really do it, you know? Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, especially I, I, you know, I got to go play summer ball with, uh, Rob or Robbie and against some of the guys. So, and that was all fun. Um, you know, once we got back here, everything started to kind of mesh together well and we worked hard and, uh, I think we're going to do real well this year. How much of a roller coaster, roller coaster of emotions was it for you when, you know, the season ends, you might not get that year of eligibility back. Then the draft is only five rounds, but then you get another year of eligibility, which gives you leverage going into next year, I guess, with all the draft stuff and then going and playing in front of the scouts and that stuff. What was all that like for you mentally? Um, it, uh, it's hard to, um, kind of describe that, you know, uh, obviously a bunch of us went through it in high school. Um, so everybody was nervous back then. And not a whole lot changes uh, in college. <laughs> you still get a little nervous, and um, but that's good though. You know, you kind of need nerves. Um, but just being able—I think—as we get older, as I get older, um, it's easy for me to kind of take myself out of that moment and uh, just be who I am. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that just comes with maturity, in my opinion. But um, I'm happy that I've gotten to go through it and uh, be where I am right now. You talked a little bit about playing summer ball. How important was that just to see pitches and get at bats as much as you could? It, I, uh, it was important for sure. Um, and honestly, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we were out there, like we weren't, I mean, obviously we were trying to win the games, but it was more, more of us having a good time with the guys from other teams, guys from Florida, you know, we're all real good friends now and, um, more than we were beforehand. Obviously when we play them, we're, uh, kind of lock that down until after but yeah. it it was just uh I think the most important thing was just getting back out there and getting back into baseball shape and um just having a good time which we hadn't gotten to do in a while yeah you talked a little bit about the Florida players but you know your outfield was you Judd and Robbie I guess how much fun was it playing in that outfield and you, you and Judd switched back a bit in center field and yeah. the how much did you guys learn off each other throughout the summer as well um, it was interesting, you know, we kind of got to pick each other's brains about, uh, you know, how, how things work over there and how things work with us. But it was certainly a, it was certainly a fun thing to see uh, going out there and playing with those guys. Um, you know, I watched Judd, Judd watches me and he's a great, he's a great dude. Uh, he's going to play real well this year as well. Um, I've known him for a while uh, as well as Jack Leftwich, Tommy Mace. And uh, I met Kirby McMullen for the first time. He's a good dude. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, uh, me and Robbie, all, all, obviously, we know each other. So we kind of yeah. mess around with each other. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it, it was just playing baseball and uh, 
it was kind of a stress-free environment, which was, I think, yeah. good for us. It was a good change for us. You know, last year you ended, I mean, right before that last game, you also had Florida and you beat them. And a lot of talk's been about the schedule coming up this year and how maybe you could potentially play one non-conference team for a whole yeah. weekend. I guess how fun yeah. would that be to play Florida for one whole weekend? That would be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> we'd actually get to face uh, Jack and Tommy and those guys because uh, we never get to do that in the midweeks. Um, I think that would be a, like a true test of uh, – Who's better? To be honest with you, right. we got you know we got our horses going at each other, and uh, over three days you got to lock in for seventy-two hours as opposed to one day. So um, that would be interesting to see. I mean, I, I have no idea what's going on with all that. To be honest with you, but um, I'm assuming we'll find out uh, hopefully soon. But yeah. we'll see. You're going back to some other SEC series that you guys did play in the past, and you did face those challenges was LSU and Georgia at those regionals and super regionals. You played really well in those and you had a lot of clutch home runs. How, yeah. how well were you seeing the ball then? I guess how much fun was that time for you? Um, I, I can't even describe that time. I think it was because uh, we hadn't been playing too well that season and we kind of got in by the, you know, barely. <laughs> but um, yeah. once I, I think our team was just, we were such, we we're all so close together. Um, throughout the season, you know, everybody liked each other. There was no clicks or nothing like that. So when it came game time in Georgia and LSU, it was kind of like, all right, let's go. Like nobody expected us to be here. And there was no, uh, oh, my swing feels like it's doing this or that. You know, like we're trying to bunt and get on base and just win games. We weren't really um, worried about uh, personal stats, I guess you could say. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That was definitely the most fun I've had here uh, was that ride to Omaha. Is that, that long at bat and that three-run homer you had at LSU, has there ever been any baseball moment and really any moment in life that has, has topped that? And when you dropped that bat, I guess, how many emotions were going through you through the, when that happened? Uh, that was pretty crazy. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, again, man, I was just trying to put the ball in play. I wasn't trying to do anything like that, but um Obviously, it worked out well. And things that had topped that, I don't know if anything can top that uh, considering the situation that we were in. But besides that, the only thing that comes to mind is when I hit like a walk-off home run my freshman year for mm -hmm. NC State. And I didn't remember anything until I was close to third base. And I was like, oh, yeah. what's going on? And I saw meat smiling. I was like, okay, it's good. to We're good. We can party. But uh, yeah, other than that, man, I don't know. You know, that year you, you really went through a lot with your shoulder. I guess, how much how much pain did you feel like you were in a lot? I guess, what percentage of your normal self did you feel like you were at throughout that last, like, I guess that second half of the season? Um, it, It's something that's uh, that was always in the back of my mind. Uh, and I wasn't expecting a whole lot, um, which I think helped me. It was kind of a win-win situation like I wasn't worried about the way I performed because like, Oh, it's, he's got one shoulder and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, uh, kind of helped me, uh, get out of my own mental psyche and just play, um, strength wise. I mean, they kind of figured it out towards the end because I was wearing that big old brace every game, but, uh, I couldn't, <laughs> it was tough for me to hit the outside pitches, um, without it popping out. But, you know, I'm never going to take anything back from that. It was a good learning experience, a lot of fun. The last couple games of last year, I guess, was that the first time you really started to feel like, you know, I'm healthy now and I'm seeing the ball? Was that like, you know, and I guess when the season ended, the fact that it ended there right when you were starting to get just back yeah. to your normal self, how much of a disappointment was that for you? Uh, yeah, I would say that that was the first time that I had kind of felt like me again. And I think that was just borderline uh, not enough preparation. You know, we kind of had to rush into things and didn't have a whole lot of time to work on things. And finally something clicked. And uh, of course it clicks and our season gets canceled. <laughs> so that was pretty disappointing. But again, it is what it is. And, you know, look at it more as a blessing than a curse these days. Um, 
again, the more that you go through things, the better off you are afterwards, I feel like. So, you know, a lot of the talk this fall just has been about the pitching staff and for good reason. I mean, pitching staff is obviously deep and extremely talented, but you bring back your whole starting lineup really this year. I guess how confident are you in your lineup? How deep do you guys feel like you are on the offensive side as well? offensive side of ball as well yeah this is the first year where you know we think about who's going to play where and who's going to hit where in the lineup and it's it feels like the first time where somebody is going to be sitting that would normally be in our starting lineup you know it's almost like we have too much depth which uh it's uh it, it is what it is I mean you need that and I'm happy for it you know somebody's struggling a little bit we always we're gonna have a a guy to put in that we believe in and we know that can get the job done and uh as well as that uh the pitching is uh is pretty ridiculous i think definitely the best staff i've seen since i've been here um and uh it was certainly annoying at times this fall because uh they're all very good but i think that's gonna help us going into the season as well because i don't know who has a how many teams have a better pitching staff than that, you know? So it's uh, good for the hitters. Um, Frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, it's good for us. When you have that much depth and when you have that much competition in in the fall, how much much better does that make each guy going into the spring? It's, it's, I feel like it's going to make everything look easy. Uh, And that's great. I mean, you know, obviously all the hitters want to go out there and, just rake the whole time, but having that this sort of failure against this good of pitching in the fall, I think that's going to really build up everybody's mental psyche and things like that. And uh, you know, when we play teams that aren't as good as us, I think it's I think I don't even think it's going to be close to be honest with you. So uh, I'm certainly excited, and especially uh, the way that we were coached this fall uh, in terms of our at bats. Um, that's going to help us too. You know, people will get mad at me sometimes, but he's doing it for a reason. And I understand that. And I try to get everybody else to understand that. And uh, they started to buy into it towards the end. So um, I think everything went as good as it could have, in my opinion. You talked about it a little bit and meets approach and kind of the shift you guys had in your approach at the plate last year. I mean, how much does that help you as a hitter? Is it something that you really enjoy having the, I guess the more aggressive approach at the plate and, and on the bases. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, uh, it kind of lets us be more of ourselves, you know, you got to have trust in some of the guys that they won't do uh, dumb things or swing at certain pitches they shouldn't. But the way that meat is trying to get us to uh, approach hitting, it's uh it's good. I mean, if you just buy into it, I feel like we're going to see success. And that's what we started to do towards the end of the fall. Um, you know, just hunting vast balls and not missing them. And that's really what he capitalized on. You know, you saw just kicking people out of the box, taking fastballs down the middle and they're frustrated, but you're not going to get another pitch like that throughout your at bat. So you better learn to do it. So uh, he, I think he's doing a good job. I think he's doing a really good job. Besides that, a more aggressive approach, I guess, what are the biggest differences between me and 11 on a, on a day-to-day basis when you guys are out there practicing? Um, I mean, obviously there's some more intensity. Uh, everything's moving a lot quicker and, uh, 11 always had, uh, we, we, so does meat, but you know, we work walks, we work counts. We don't swing at bad pitches, but I do like that. You know, if I do get a first pitch fastball, first at bat of the game, I'm certainly allowed to uh, do as much damage as I can with it. Uh, sometimes 11 would have us take first pitch, uh, first at bat of the game. And then obviously we won a lot of games, um, but I do like the more aggressive approach personally. You've seen a lot of different spots in the lineup from one to, you know, three and five all over the place. Is there somewhere that you, I guess, have a preference of hitting in? Do you like a leadoff spot or do you like – being a little deeper in the lineup where more guys are going to be on base. Yeah. I, uh, I think the, my favorite one has been that in second. Um, but I don't know what meets planning on doing, but we know they, they, that we like to do a uh, left, right, left, right, left, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in my opinion, I think Tyler Martin's going to be a leadoff hitter and he's a lefty. So um, we'll see where, where they see me fitting in the most um, three hole. I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know, with the depth that we have, I don't think they're going to be able to pitch around some people and hope to get the next person out. Um, like maybe they felt like they have in the past. So, but uh, if I had to choose, or if I could choose, I would probably say second's my favorite spot. Yeah, as a left-handed hitter, how much fun is it hitting in Dick Hauser when you have that short, you have that fence and the short wall? I mean, even I think the other day in the Garnet Gold, I think you probably would even say you got under that ball a little bit, but it yes. still went out pretty easily. <laughs> I guess how, yes. much, how fun is it? But also on the other side, how do you not let yourself get pole happy when, when you see that fence? Yeah, um, that has to do with uh, maturity as well. Uh, I can certainly say my freshman year, you know, my eyes are locked on that thing, but, uh, it's, uh, it's good. I mean, you got good days. The ball flies pretty well in the spring and, um, it's, uh, you don't have to get a whole lot of it. You just got to get it up there sometimes. And, um, certainly gives the lefties in our lineup an advantage, uh, especially because it gets pretty deep in uh, left center. Um, and I, I like it. <laughs> I can't complain. Um, sometimes I wish the screen was in there um because we'd all have a lot more home runs but uh rightfully so i mean there's a street back there so it is what it is you know how unique is it to have that fence when you're playing the outfield and you have that deep center field as well and for you having t hold as your outfield coach you know he's the guy that played there as well how important is his experience there and him knowing how to play that outfield um it gives us it gives our team uh, an advantage especially when we play at home because we know how to play that fence and, you know, maybe these teams come in on Thursday and have a practice there, but at the end of the day, come game time, they don't really know how to play it unless they're veteran guys. Um, but T Holt, the same thing. He's, he's honest about everything. He wants, he wants us to succeed as much as he knows that we can. And he's always on Robbie. Sometimes it's kind of funny, but Robbie knows he's doing it for a good reason. And, um, he, you kind of got to listen to him. Like, how are you not going to listen to him? Yeah. You know, he played out there for two, three years, however many it was, and played in the big leagues a couple of years. It's, it's hard not to listen to him. So uh, we're thankful that he has that sort of experience and he brought it here to us. You know, you talked a little bit about Robbie and he's down in weight some this year, I guess, since he came in as a freshman, how much better has he gotten defensively and how much more confident are you when he's next to you in right field? Uh, defensively, he's gotten way, way, way better. Um, since I saw him as a freshman, he's, uh, he's learning a lot. He's taking a lot more pride in it. Obviously we know he can hit. Um, he's always going to hit, <laughs> but, um, I think this year for sure, obviously he gotten a little bit better shape. He looks good. Um, I can tell personally that he's taken, taking it a lot more seriously. He's gotten faster. He's not taking reps off. So, um, happy about that i'm proud of him for that and obviously i I can confidently say that it's something that he wanted to get better at and um i think it's going to help him a lot you know another thing with with, that was different on meat staff was bringing in coach metcalf and you know it's another draft year for you and when when you guys have somebody that's been in that pro in the pro you know draft room how much how much i guess how much advice does he give to you that you can take away knowing exactly what scouts want to see and stuff like that um, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly, uh, comfortable, um, because we know he'll give it to us straight. And I, uh, like you said, he has experience there. Um, he always, he's always talking to us about that sort of stuff, uh, especially come draft meetings, you know, kind of preps you for what they're going to ask or what you should wear and things like that. Um, and at the same time, he's a great, great guy. Uh, we talk a lot at practice because he's always coaching third and uh, I'll sit over there by the end of the dugout and we'll just talk about certain things, talk about what this guy needs to try or do and stuff like that. Um, I like his philosophy on things uh, and I think he's going to play a key role this year as well. I guess lastly, how does this, how does your lineup and I guess your whole team overall stack up to the three teams you've previously been on at Florida state? Um. Lineup wise and pitching wise, I think as a whole, I think that 
this is probably the best team that I've been a part of. Um, maybe I'd say next best was my freshman year with uh, Cal Raleigh, Cole Sands, uh, Jackson Luke, all those guys. Um, and that might have been because I was a freshman and uh, I kind of always like looked up to those guys before I even got here. But that was a good team. We had a unfortunate stroke of bad luck there at the end. Um, but I think this is definitely the best year. And it's funny to say that because sophomore year is when we actually got to Omaha. Um, and that's where, uh, having a good team bonding or a good relationship with everybody comes into play. I think if we develop as good relationships as we did, uh, my sophomore year, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I feel like. Yeah, I'll ask you one more. I guess you just mentioned about uh, Jackson and Cal and all those guys when you were a freshman and how you looked up to them. I guess how does that – how important does that make it for you when you're the senior guy in this lineup to be – I mean, guess I guess set an example and be the leader for the rest of the hitters? Um, yeah, it's a – it's not something I think about a whole lot because – I don't, I don't like to be like, I like, uh, you want to ask me questions. I, I can handle helping you with things like that. But at the end of the day, we're teammates now. So, and I know I have more experience. I'm going to help them through everything that I can. Um, but going through that, me looking up to the older guys when I was a freshman, um, even little things, you know, little things as like, go, oh, Hey, calm down or, you know, make a little something up to, kind of lighten the mood in certain situations. Uh, I think that helped me a lot. A cow would always mess with me. Like you could tell that I was nervous before some big games and he'd be like, he'd say some weird stuff to me and I'd, I'd just laugh about it. And that kind of helps you uh, remember that, you know, we're playing baseball. Some situations are stressful, but at the end of the day, it's fun. I guess la- I was just lastly, just for you to say to the fans, I guess, how close are you guys to getting over that last hump and, does me have this program headed in the right direction? Uh, yeah, I, I think we're, I think we're there. I mean, we're going to work hard um, with lifts the next few weeks and then we'll go home for uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and continue to work hard there. And I think once we come back for the spring and start practice up again, uh, in my opinion, it's all going to be clicking really well. And um He's going to keep grinding with us and we're all going to grind together. You know, we're a family and um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really do. All right. Thank you, Reese. That's all the questions I had for you. Um, You know, hopefully sometime in the future, you'll be back on Sunday golds, but thanks for joining today. Yeah. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Really good stuff there from Brett and Reese. Brett, look, man, uh, Reese is a really laid back guy. He he plays the game um, at a very relaxed and uh, calm approach. He, he's someone who's always had ice in his veins. We know what he did against LSU. Everyone knows what he did against LSU. What impressed me the most about what he did that weekend was he did it with an injured shoulder. And to me, no, you know, being hurt and hitting a home run isn't isn't the only thing that's impressive. I think it, it was more about the character of Reese to kind of decide that, you know what, I have to be there for my teammates. It doesn't matter that I'm being told that I need surgery and that I that I probably should be sitting out He wanted to be there for the rest of his guys. He wanted to help Florida State make a run to Omaha, and they did. What do you think that says about his character as a leader for this team and just kind of being – I think it's safe to say he's he's the face of that lineup. Yeah, he's definitely the Chase Haney on that side of the ball. You know, he's a guy that he doesn't really ever waver in his emotions, kind of like, you know, you see a Connor Grady on the mound. Um, You know, he knows what he needs to do in the lineup. He's a good center fielder. Um, You know, he – from his time as a freshman, you know, having guys like Cal Raleigh and those guys, I mean, he talked about it. Um, you know, he knows how to lead. He knows what to do in certain moments. He knows how to get the younger guys going and, you know, how, how to let their – how to slow down their heart rates sort of. So, you know, I, I just it's a, big, it's a big year in store for him, I think, and it, especially as a leader as well. Let's put kind of the, the bow on top here of the fall. Uh, why do you think fall ball is important? For those of those listening, I know there's someone at home who's probably like, who cares? It's just fall ball, right? Like this isn't the season. It doesn't matter. It's just practice. Why would you why would you disagree with that? And why would you say fall ball is very important to this Florida State team? Well, I mean, you just you saw it last year with Reese. I mean, he didn't have his fall ball and he just he, he just couldn't really he was not his normal self, not only because he was coming off injury, but just because he hadn't seen many pitches. 
and that's why summer ball is important as well for a lot of guys. It's just seeing pitches, getting used to it, getting used to the field and everything that goes on with it. You know, you just face your own pitchers every day, but I mean, 95 is 95. I mean, that, that doesn't change. And this year fall was even more important because, you know, for high school guys, they really had not even seen, you know, the freshmen coming in, they had not seen anything really for, for months. Um, you know, so just getting to see the pitching, it, it's not about results, in my opinion, for fall. You know, you may struggle, but it, it doesn't really translate to the exact results you're going to see in a regular season. You know, certain guys play up when it comes to games. Certain guys don't, they can't get up for games as much. So, you know, everything is kind of, it's it's a ebb and flow when it comes to fall. But just seeing pitches, just pitchers getting to face hitters, see guys in boxes, it's all extremely important just for their development as as baseball players. Yeah, and I mean, you said it yourself, you also don't want to put too much weight on fall because it, it isn't the same, right? Like the other the other dugout is having a book on each of your, your players and they're trying to figure out the best way to attack. Um, if it's a pitcher, they want to attack it with their lineup. And if it's the, the batters, they've got a plan on how to attack each of the hitters. So it's a lot different. You're not seeing the same arms every day that you had gotten kind of gotten used to. And so, yeah, those are some, there's some variants and, and there's some factors into why some players are better in the fall ball than they are in the season. Um, but I think you you hit the nail on the head, right? This is important time for guys to kind of get into the flow of things. I actually hate that they have to be off for these next couple of weeks. I know Meat said that they can still do individual workouts and kind of do some individual work here soon. Um, but I just really wish, like, it's one of the only seasons you can think of. Maybe football does it with spring practice. But, like, there's there aren't many sports where you're just like, hey, here's a training now we're going to take off a whole bunch of time before the actual season starts. So um, these guys, I hope, took advantage of their fall ball. I think a lot of guys did. You saw a lot of depth, and I think more than anything, you gave those coaches something to think about as you move into 2021. Pitching staff, we've talked about some guys. I think we've kind of mentioned a few names. To me, what stood out the most this fall about the pitching staff, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, there are a lot of power arms. There are guys that we haven't seen that can sit 92, 93, 94 and run it up there to 95 to 97 or 98. And that's just something that FSU baseball hasn't had a whole bunch of. And one of my favorite sayings from opposing coaches in sports is they're like Noah's Ark. They have two of everything. And I think Florida State's going to be kind of like that where it's like you have power arms, you have pitchability guys, you have lefties, you have righties, you have a side arm, you have a couple of side armors. Um, you have multiple guys who could be your quote-unquote closers. Brett, this is a pitching staff that I think is going to give a lot of opposing offensive attacks really a lot of problems. Yeah, so you sort of hit on the biggest thing for me is just that there's so many different arm angles. There's so many different ways guys are going to pitch other hitters where it gives belly and meat the opportunity to really, like, you're probably never going to see a pitcher with the same arm angle and same stuff come in right after a guy just like them. It's going to be, you're always going to be given opposing teams, different looks. Uh, I don't think hitters are, I think it's going to be rare for hitters to be comfortable in the box against FSU. And there's going to be a lot of in-game adjustments teams are going to have to make against them. So when you have that much depth, obviously it creates competition, but it also just gives you so many options and so many different ways to attack other, other teams. In this pitching staff, and as we kind of – we've touched a lot on the pitching staff. I know I've mentioned that, and we've, we our last episode, we really kind of got people hyped up, and I know the Twitter machine is really excited about this pitching staff, and they should be. To you, this fall, can you give me two or three names of pitchers that help themselves the most? Yeah, so this is probably something that I really haven't thought about yet, but just off the top of my head, I would probably say Parker Messick, Jack Anderson, and Wyatt Crowell. I mean, you know, Messick didn't, I mean, after last year, you don't have much to prove. There's not much things you have to improve, but he did exactly what the coaching staff wanted him to do. He dropped weight, he got more efficient, and he just showed all year, all fall, his pitchability and his ability, ability to attack the attack these, the zone consistently. Um, Jack Anderson was another guy that really did what they wanted him to do. He saw a big tick up in, in uh, velocity, and, you know, that was one thing that, Meat said surprised him was just the velocity he came back with. Um, and then Wyatt Crowell was a kid that, you know, he was always a good pitcher coming out of Georgia as, as, 
as a high school kid. But, I mean, I don't think anybody on that staff really expected him to be as pow- as powerful as he was with the arm. You know, he's a kid that will be uh, 91, 95 sort of with this fastball, and then he's a white-pound slider as well. So, you know, all three of those guys put themselves in good positions going forward, and I just think that they did exactly what they needed to, needed to do this fall. All right, so that's a good place, I think, to wrap up pitching staff. It's going to be very good. This should be a top-10 unit in the country it's just got so much of variance. It's got so much versatility. It's got depth. And like I said earlier, it's just got a little bit of everything. All right. So I know, Brett, this was something we talked about actually before we hit the record button. You thought that the hitting could be right up there with this pitching staff. And I thought that was an interesting take. I, I mean, we know Florida State gets on base. They've done that for years. The system works. They take a lot of pitches and more times than not, college pitching doesn't throw consistent strikes. So Florida State really works up the walk count. I think they're, what, top five in the uh, NCAA every single year, it feels like, in total walks as a team. But they have had trouble with the batting average. Now, batting average is not everything. It, it really isn't everything to, to teams. But really good teams have both, right? They have on-base percentage. They find ways to get on. And they have four or five guys that can really do some damage at the plate as well uh, with the stick. Why do you think that this offense has shown you the potential to be able to take that step forward? Yeah, well, you know, I just think, I don't think they're as deep as the pitching staff, but I just think one through nine, the experience they bring back, the talent they have, it's, uh, you know, I still think pitching's the strength of the team, but I don't think hitting's far behind at all. And I think this, this is a lineup that has a chance to be really dangerous against any pitching staff, really. And, you know, we saw it late as, as fall kept going on every day, it felt like, the hitters were putting up more of a challenge for those for the really good pitchers. Just every day the at bats got better, more competitive. This is a lineup that, you know, I don't think they're gonna be hitting three hundred as a team, but I think your on base percentage is gonna be one of the highest in the nations. You're gonna have one of the most powerful lineups in the nation. Um, you know, you have that experience in the middle, you got power, you I you know, I think you're you're a good season of Nander to say to us away from being one of the best lineups in the nation. Um, you know, if, if, if Nander really starts to tap into it, that makes the lineup even deeper. Um, you know, at the top of the order, you know what you're going to get from Robbie. You know what you're going to get from Reese. And you know you're going to get home runs on home runs from Elijah. Uh, you know, you're going to get on base with Tyler Martin. So I just think it's a lineup that mixes well together. And, you know, they all complement each other really well. And I just think that we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget about how good this lineup could be, even though the pitching staff really could be one of the best in the nation as well. That's actually a good point because the depth is something that, you know, you mentioned that isn't quite what the pitching staff has, but honestly, if you give good, if you have good health and you keep guys in in decent shape throughout a season, I don't think you really need that much depth in college baseball. Yeah, I alluded to the Dodgers earlier, and I said it's nice to have pinch hitters and guys that can can platoon and and do a little bit of everything in in this modern day of analytics where you're trying to take advantage of of every situation the way you can. College baseball, I feel like, you know, you have nine good hitters. You actually can be okay. And I think if this Florida State team picks out its nine, nine best hitters and then you have three or four guys behind them that can just come in and give you a different look. You're going to be okay as an offense. All right. So that is a, a decent recap of where Florida state baseball is at. Currently there were, there have been some questions I know I've gotten from a few fans on schedule. When is it coming out? Do we know what it looks like? Is it going to be just conference? Is it going to be non-conference? Can they play midweek games? Are we going to play Florida three times on a weekend? The, the answer is we don't know. I mean, right now the ACC hasn't said anything. We have seen some rumblings from other conferences where um, I know like the Mountain West decided on a 40-game schedule, I believe is what I saw, um, and they are allowing non-conference games as well. So they're giving each of the schools a chance to play some non-conference games. That to me is important because I would like to play – the University of Florida. That to me is really important. Like that has to be something that they figure out is Knowles Gators has to happen on the diamond. Um, how that happens. We really have no clue. I actually talked to a few sources at the park that were just telling me, you know, uh, we really don't have a schedule yet. Like right now the ACC has to come out with something. And when we figure it out, we'll let everybody know for sure. And so 
I think just be patient on the schedule. But, Brett, there is a chance, and there's been some talk of potential uh, four-game weekends. How does that alter the pitching staff for Florida State and how they approach it? Yeah, so, I mean, I think you still – I don't think Friday really changes much, but it just gives you the opportunity to get more guys' experience in there and potentially get those young guys in there to give them that starting experience. So going forward, they're in your normal three-weekend rotation. Um, you know, the other thing is if it's a four-game series, then you're going to have two games on a Saturday, and both those games are going to be seven innings. So your starter doesn't have to give you a ton of innings. So you may see, um, you know, a more – a higher pitch count guy, um, you know, less command, but, you know, a swing and miss guy that is going to give you four innings of just dominant pitching maybe. You don't really have to worry about the pitch count, and you still – you just get you, – you know, it's still normal where it could be three innings for your bullpen to go and close the door. And then, you know, Sunday you could have it where you, you have like almost just like two starters where it's starter 1A and starter 1B. But, you know, it just gives them a lot of flexibility – and I think it's an advantage for Florida State when you have a team that's this deep on the mound and you have this many guys competing for starter spots. It's something that, you know, I, I would like to see how they how they work their way around that and how they use that as their advantage and how they take advantage of the big roster this year through that. All right, and then the last thing I'll ask you, Brett, and we'll leave off here. Any question marks, any any types of things that you're really looking forward to seeing when the boys come back uh, and start 2021? Yeah, so obviously defense last year was the issue for FSU, but I just think with the depth they have on those infield and the infield battles that are going on, if guys are struggling, they're just they're going to be replaced. And I think you're just going to – I don't think guys I think guys are going to have a short lease like I talked about earlier. I just think if you make an error, you know – we're going to put whoever is on the field to play defense. So I think the fielding percentage will be better next year. My biggest question comes in timely hitting, situational hitting, which I actually thought was the biggest issue last year. You know, even when we won at Florida, I mean, that was a game they really should have won by a, a lot of runs because they just left so many guys on base. And that comes from being um, a sort of boomer bust lineup where it's, you know, a lot of strikeouts. The strikeouts are going to be there. But the strikeouts have to be timely as well. You know, guys just have to know when to cut down the swing. You know, if you got nobody on base, you go out there, be aggressive, do damage. And there's a guy on third base and there's less than two outs, put the ball in play, shorten up, put the ball in play. And I don't think we saw enough of that last year. And that was something that Meat was not happy about last year. Um, a lot of post games, he just kept saying, you know, we got to put the ball in play and at certain times. We have to do it to be a good team. And, you know, Good teams, good teams. You know they they have their RBIs, but great teams have two out RBIs, and I think that's the thing that could put them over the top if they have those two out RBIs. I mean, you saw the Dodgers, how many two out RBIs they had in the World Series, and that's oh, what I, puts I them over the top. So those that's a t- championship teams have two out RBIs and they have good defense. So those are really my only questions going forward. As a Braves fan, I saw uh, multiple times how the Dodgers uh, figured out a way with two strikes and two outs to cause just incredible amounts of pain on Braves country and all of Braves nation. So we won't get into that for this one. I think uh, let's keep things happy and keep things uh, in a great mood with Florida State baseball. My only questions really come from um, the the pitching staff, just wondering how that's all going to shake out for FSU. And you took the words right out of my mouth with defense, I think. I'm really interested to seeing can Florida State play defense at an above average level because it's been a while since they've done that. Well, and you know, I think above average would be ideal, but even if they just do average, just give me the routine plays. Just make the routine plays. You don't have to have the amazing Sports Center top 10 plays. Just make the routine plays consistently. Don't beat yourself, and this will be a really good baseball team. It really will. And my, my only other thing that I'm – I don't even think it's a question as much as I'm just intrigued to see if they do it, how often does Florida State, you know, put guys in motion on the base paths? How often are they going to try and steal bases? Because I think there is some potential there to, to cause havoc on the base paths. So, Brett, I think good stuff from you. I think this has been a great two-episode fall pilot season, if you want to call it. Um, the feedback from you guys has been – incredible we really appreciate it we've enjoyed doing this um i know you guys are excited about a florida state dedicated uh, podcast to baseball so 
Um, we hope to keep bringing you that. Hope to have some some new little things and wrinkles for you when we come back. Uh, the plan is right now, January, um, we will have some episodes to get back into things and kind of see where we're out. If, if you could, if you could find it, uh, the time to do it, please rate us five stars on um, Apple Pod. If you can, leave us a review too. That helps out a lot. If you really like the show, let us know that you do. Um, we are on Google Podcasts as well, Spotify, SoundCloud, and a, a bunch of other uh, podcast streaming apps. And so please share this with your friends as well and let them know that Sunday Golds, a Florida State baseball podcast, is one of the shows that you need to subscribe to and add to your weekly listening. All right, until we talk to you again in 2021, Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt signing off. We hope you have a great rest of your 2020, and we'll see you on the other side.